had to like look at myself and like figure out like, am I going to keep doing this? Like, can I dissect like every piece of my training, like my lifting, my nutrition, like where is there space to grow? And I had to like see like, am I am I going to do another four years like where nothing is guaranteed? Like, how bad do you want it? Welcome to the Just Women Sports Podcast, where we talk to the biggest athletes in the world about the untold stories behind their success. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and my guest today is Allison Felix. Allison Felix is the most decorated woman in American track and field history. A nine-time Olympic medalist, she is the only female track and field athlete to ever win six Olympic golds. Her 12 World Championship gold medals are also the most all-time for any track and field athlete. Off the track, Allison was included in Time's Most Influential People of 2020 for her work advocating for better maternity leave protection for female athletes. Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you on. One, you're our first track and field athlete on the show, which is awesome. But then also you're just a legend (laughs) and so much so that I actually had to draw myself a timeline of like your career, like, you know, the old school ones that you do in middle school where it's like on a sheet of paper. Yeah, timeline. yeah. I've been at it for a while. Yeah. And but also so successful. I was like, oh, my God, there's so many medals here and so many Olympics. I need to see this visually because I'm a visual learner. So it's pretty incredible. And I'm really excited to get to talk to you about all that today. But first, we'll go back to where it all started, which is childhood. Um, You come from California. You still live there now. I know your brother, your older brother, Wes, was a track athlete. So is that how you got into track and field? Yeah. So I definitely have a different story than a lot of Olympic athletes. I kind of just like stumbled into track and field. Um, I was at a brand new school. My brother is two years older than me, and he was at a different high school. And so he was running track and he was he was doing really well. And for me, I really came out to the track team just because I needed to meet people like I needed friends. (laughs) So my brother, my dad, like encouraged me to go out and I did. And I just right away, like completely fell in love with the sport. And I also found like the most amazing group of friends. And so that was like my introduction to track. And then like it just took off from there. It was kind of a whirlwind. So you didn't start sprinting organized until you got into high school. Yeah, I was like super busy thinking like basketball was going to be my thing, but like also knowing like it really wasn't. (laughs) So that was my first love. But yeah, it was it was ninth grade where I really like was introduced to like track and field and this is how it works and blocks and like the whole deal. So that is so wild. I think that your progression, because we'll get into this when you went to your first Olympics, but from the time that you started to the time that you went to your first Olympics is probably the fastest of any of the athletes. And we've actually, that's funny. A lot of the athletes have had like quick or very exponential growths in their sport. But I mean, starting in high school, that's just mind blowing to me. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty crazy for me as well, you know, to think of like starting in ninth grade and then just things happened very quickly and I didn't know anything about the sport. And so I was learning very fast. But I think, you know, track and field is interesting because you, you know, it's all about time. So you can always measure up your times against, you know, the most elite. And I think that that really like helped as far as like how quickly I progressed. In your first season, when you started running, 
were you initially like, oh, I'm really fast. I could be really good at this because you had those other times to look at. Yeah, it was interesting. My coach, he was the one who was like, I went out for the first practice. He had like everybody run 60 meters. And so I ran it and then he was like, he had me do it again. And then he like brought out the wheel and like measured to make sure his distance was correct. And he kept doing this. And then finally he was like, oh, like you're really fast. And like, for me, it didn't click. Like I didn't know times or anything like that. I'm just like, I went out literally in my basketball shoes. I had like my Gary Paytons that I like loved. And I, uh, you know, I was like doing the workout in those. So I was, I was completely clueless, but he was the one who was like, you've got a lot of potential. <laughs> I can't get over that. He got out the wheel to measure and be like, ah, oh, this can't be right. This is too short. It's not 60 meters. Yeah. That's amazing. So not to to rewind a little bit. So you played basketball growing up. Did you play any other sports? Um, my parents had me kind of like in everything. Okay. Like I did gymnastics. Like, yeah, I did basketball. I just kind of grew up in my neighborhood. So like street races and, you know, playing in the backyard and kind of like doing everything like rollerblading, just really being active and yeah. being in my community. But like, I wasn't dialed into one thing like at a young age. Okay. So you get into track and field because you want some friends and you end up winning gold medals. That's pretty great. So obviously your coach saw something very early on in you. How quickly did you realize, oh, I could go to an Olympics for this? Like, I want to be the Allison Felix that you are today. Yeah, I would say it was probably like my junior year where I was like, my eyes were kind of beginning to get open. You know, I was running, you know, great times and, you know, was moving forward. And because before, I don't even think I really understood that like you could be a runner and like that could be your job. And like, I didn't right? grow That's up. That's so interesting. With, yeah, like I knew the Olympics, but like just as casually like watching the Olympics together, you know, it wasn't like we were hardcore like Olympic fans or anything like that. So yeah, I was just like open to this whole idea of like what could be at that time. That's incredible. So it was really because of your athleticism and the fact that you were so good at sprinting just naturally, that's kind of what opened your eyes into, oh, I, I might want to do this. Did you fall in love with sprinting early on or was it because you were good or did you actually, you were like, oh, I enjoy the process of this. I'm curious about that. Yeah, I fell in love with it. It was like right okay. away, I, I was like, this is my thing. I think one of the things that really stuck out for me was you know, there's nothing subjective about it. Like you line up and you literally figure out like who is the best on that day. And there was something, I've always been a competitive person. I come from a competitive family. And so that like did something for me. And yeah, so that, and then like, obviously I knew that I was talented, but I knew that like, it was going to take more than that. And I think it was like realizing that, you know, towards the latter years of high school that it was like, okay, I need to like dedicate myself and kind of like bump this up if I'm going to take this to the next level. What did that bumping up look like for you? Because for the listeners, you said you started freshman year. You end up going to the 2004 Olympics, which we're getting ahead of ourselves. But as a junior, because 2004 would have been your freshman year of college, correct? Or like end of senior year? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a small window to be like, you know, I'm going to crack down and really focus on the Olympics. So what did that look like? Yeah. So it was pretty much like, you know, I was playing basketball before I started to focus on track and field. I started to like lift in the gym and um, just realizing like even small things, just like making sacrifices. Like I wasn't doing everything else that everybody else was doing, you know, I, I was just taking it more serious. And so I think those were kind of like some of the smaller sacrifices in the beginning. And I think they definitely laid the foundation because once I went to college, 
I had to go to a whole different level. So that was kind of like just preparing me and getting me ready. I always go back to like the lessons that I learned in high school were just like, I don't know, they set me up for, you know, for life because I constantly went back to them. Can you give me an example of like one lesson you remember from high school that you're like, this is stuck with you for life? Yeah, I think just work ethic. Yeah. You know, um, even just like the structure of your day, like, you know, being able to go to class and then go to training and that intensity of training, like, you know, when you step out there, like being very focused and um, just dealing with that and then um, dealing with like defeat, like even on that level and then taking that, you know, to the professional world. um, I just constantly like go back to those lessons that I learned like very early on. That's awesome. And so cool that like you learned those so early on in your career, because I feel like a lot of athletes maybe don't until later. And those lessons really do shape you and create you into the athlete and the person that you become. And it's better to learn them earlier rather than later. I'm still blown away by this. You started freshman year. I'm going to keep going back to this. And then you actually gave up your college eligibility, signed with Adidas when you were leaving high school because you wanted to go pro and go for the Olympics in 2004. Um, So can you explain the lead up to that decision? Because that's a pretty big decision because track and field, you know, is is a big part of NCAA, but you obviously had big dreams and aspirations. So I can't imagine being a high schooler and being like, okay, I'm going to make this decision. But how did that work out for you? Yeah, it was a huge decision. Um, (laughs) You know, I graduated in, you know, 2003 and the Olympics were the next year. And so I think that was the biggest determining factor of my decision. So my brother, Wes, who I, you know, talked about before is two years older than me. He was competing at USC. So I really, and that's where I was going. You know, I had already signed. I was planning to go there. And so I had like inside eye of like how this all works. And I saw like, he was like, you know, it's, it's about the NCAA system. It's about scoring points. And so I saw like all that he had to do. And I was like, that's a lot. You know, if I really want to be able to like focus on making the team, like, I think I really need to like, just do this and have that be my sole focus. And so it was a decision, like, you know, I felt like I had to have the support of my family to be able to make. And so we talked through everything and, you know, the pros and cons. And I come from my, both of my parents are educators. And so they were like, well, if you do this, like you're still going to school. I was about to say, oh man, that is some pressure there. Yeah, Mom and dad like, not happy. <laughs> that was not even an option. So we made the decision to go pro, but I was just, I was a regular student at USC as well. Yeah, I saw that you, when you signed with Adidas in the contract, they agreed to pay for your college education, which is incredible and such a cool thing. Yeah, yeah. So I was, you know, I don't think like at the time I didn't realize like how hard that was going to (laughs) be. I was like, oh, this is going to be like high school. You know, you go to class, you go to practice, like it's all good. But then I realized like, oh my gosh, my races are overseas. Like I'm a regular student. I don't get any like extra support. Yeah. My professors don't understand like what's going on. Like, why are you trying to take your final on the road? And like, So it was a lot, but that's ultimately like why I decided to do that. And was part of that decision, so you said it was because you you saw your brother having to go through the NCAA system and the college system in terms of how track and field, the landscape of track and field in that. 
did you have a specific coach that you wanted to work with? Like you wanted to do it on your terms or you wanted to compete at a higher level? Like what was it was more the so that- like the workload? Like I saw like, you know, my best event was the 200 meters and that's what I needed to focus on to make the Olympic team. And so I saw like my brother doing everything, the 100, the 200, the four by one, the four by four, like at every single race. And and then, you know, at NCAAs, it was all about like points, which I, you know, obviously I understand and I get. And I think, you know, the NCAA is an amazing system in preparation. Um, but also being that it was that Olympic year and we had Olympic trials, I felt like I needed to save my body and like prepared like for that specific race. That, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that was like the biggest thing that kept me from, you know, because you can go through college and also, you know, go to the Olympics. But I just felt like I would, my best shot would be to just prepare for that. That's so interesting. I never thought about it in that way because track and field is in sprinting. I mean, most of the running, all of them are the taper phase and the loading and that sort of thing. And if you're having to do all these other ones and not be able to focus on that specific event, that makes perfect sense as to why you would do that. And obviously paid off for you because you qualified for the 2004 Olympics and you were 18, 17, 18 at the time, which is crazy. At what point you're in, you're, you're in Olympic qualifying and you end up qualifying. What goes through your mind as like, oh, I just started running four years ago and now I'm going to go to an Olympics. I mean, it was definitely a whirlwind. Like, it was just like, you know, I'm trying to keep up. Like, this is overwhelming, but it's really exciting. Like, it's amazing. But at the same time, like, you know, I haven't had like these huge races overseas. And I just kind of was going with the flow. I was like, this is, you know, really a dream come true. I feel so blessed to be having this opportunity. You know, my family was like supporting me through it all. They were like right there encouraging me. And I think that was like the biggest thing, like just having like, you have to have like the perfect circle of people to do this or it just, it doesn't happen. So I was like grateful that like they were kind of leading and guiding me like through everything. Yeah. Cause there's, I mean, people probably don't realize as a professional sprinter, you're traveling overseas, you're 18, you're going all around the world to run these races to then be able to qualify and put yourself in a position to make the Olympics. So the team around you is so important, you know, the people that you surround yourself with, because it's an individual sport. Whereas with soccer, we have our team, you have your like built in family, but for you guys, yeah, so which important is, to- it was crazy because yeah, exactly. Like you said, like, you know, you guys have this whole system and kind of it's put together and track and field is just not that way. You know, like you're going to a race and you've got to kind of create your own team. And yeah, I was 18 and I was competing against, you know, women who are much older than me. And I was figuring out like, you know, traveling alone and just like how it all like works. Is the way it worked, would you end up traveling alone a lot of times, like just show up? Because I know with surfing that happens too. Like you go all around the world to these competitions and sometimes you might have one or two friends that you travel with, but did you like a coach come with you or was it just, oh, no, Allison, go get on the plane. Good luck on the race. We'll see you and get <laughs> yeah. back. There were a few races that I was out there, you know, on my own. We were figuring it out. You know, it was all new to us. <laughs> um, but then my coach pretty much came with me to all my races. And so that's kind of how it worked. I was like, I was with my coach and kind of did our thing. And then, you know, once you make the teams, then, of course, there's a much more of a system in place. You know, and you have all those pieces you know, put together for you. But before then it's, you know, and being just like a rookie and trying to figure it all out, it was definitely, we went 
through some bumps, you know, along the road. I'm sure. And when you say once you make those teams, you mean Team USA. And that happens once you qualify for an Olympics. Yeah, exactly. So I think my first year, I think I like did the Pan Am team. And so I got like a little introduction with that. And then, but yeah, um, you know, having like your, the physio and meals and like that whole thing, like, you know, it was much easier on the teams. Yes. Yeah. I can't imagine doing that as, I mean, like I said, with soccer, it's built in, you know, mm-hmm. we, we should, they, they put us on a plane, they book our flight and then we show up and everything's there. Whereas you go somewhere and you have to figure it out all on your own as an 18 year old, which yeah. is crazy. But so going in to 2004 Olympics in Athens, you're, you know, you're 18. What were your expectations? Did you this is me just thinking about it. You have the ability to know where you stack up against people. So were you like, oh, I want to go in here and win gold or this is my first Olympics. I'm just happy to be here and I'm going to run as fast as I can. Like I, <laughs> like I said, I'm like a super competitive person and, you know, I just, I go into every race like, you know, wanting to win. I think at that age too, like I didn't even know what, what I was like up against, you know, like you're just like out there and it's like, yeah, why wouldn't I like try to win, you know? Um, yeah. And yeah, so it was, there was a little bit of, you know, just being new and like not really understanding how everything works. So that was definitely my goal. Do you get nervous before races? Yes. Yeah. I always, you even do. to this day. Yeah. It's just a part of like, to me, if I didn't, it would be weird. Do you think that being young and almost not naive, but a little naive, do you think that added to your ability to perform as well as you did? And you know, you, you ultimately end up winning a silver. It's not gold, but it's your first Olympics. Do you think that that little piece of, oh, this is my first time allowed you to perform that way? Yeah, I think it had a lot to do also with like just not going to college, like I was racing professional. So I always was like going up, you know, like I was always racing people who were older than me. And I just, I never really like saw that as like something that would get in my way. So I Mm -hmm. think I was just at that point really like used to it. And I always, you know, like I said, I always went into races like feeling like you race to win. Yeah. So yeah. And then when I did end up getting the silver medal, I was like, (laughs) so disappointed and in tears. and Yeah. And then I remember like my mom coming and, you know, meeting me afterwards. I was so new that I didn't even know that like everyone, like the top three, like should take a victory lap. Like I was like, I didn't take a victory lap because like, I didn't know. And my mom was like, so disappointed. She was like, no, you were supposed to like do the victory lap. And, but talking to her, she like quickly helped me put everything into perspective. And it's like, you're 18 years old, you know, this is an amazing blessing. And so that helped me. And I think that first Olympics just really like lit the fire for me. And it gave me a taste of what it would take, you know, to be able to continue on and to be successful. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the reason I asked is like, oh, being a little naive, did you maybe take the mental or the nerves go away because it was your first time, that sort of thing. But with track and field, there isn't this element of, correct me if I'm wrong, we're the better team, but we lost because we didn't perform that way. Whereas like with sprinting, it's like you're the fastest. And unless you 
for some reason have an off day, I mean, the margin is so thin. It just is crazy to me that you have like this finite time to compete and then it's over. Whereas like it's soccer, it's a 90 minute game, a lot can happen, that sort of thing. It's really interesting because there's a lot of factors that can like determine how your race ends up. And so, yeah, a lot of times you're like, well, on paper, it should be this, you know, and like going into a race, this is what it should be. But we always say like, well, that's why you race because yeah. It doesn't always like fall that way. And so true, um, especially like depending on the distance. So like when you go to 400, it's so much more like strategic, like you can be in Mm. the best shape of your life. But if you don't put that race together, like the exact way that it should be, then it doesn't matter like how much a shape you're in, like you you have to put it together. So in the sprints, it just kind of depends. It can be, you could get a bad start, like you can, um, your angles could be wrong. You know, there's so many things that could be the reason of like why you don't perform on that day. So it just kind of, it depends. And like, it's all about like putting it together, especially on that biggest stage. You know, you see the most talented people and if they don't have like, that mental toughness to, you know, be focused and to do all the right things that you've done like a million times before. It doesn't always turn out the way that it should on paper. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm thinking about it now and you watch it and you're like, you realize, oh, this is such a close race. This is so intense. If you're just off by a little bit in this one moment, then it's over. It's crazy to think how little things in 20 seconds will determine gold, silver, bronze. It's just wild to me. Like I said, we have 90 minutes to either mess up or do well. So, And the more you think about that, it's like you can drive yourself crazy because you're like, oh my gosh, I trained four years for 21 seconds. Like I don't want to mess this moment up because then I got to wait another four years. (laughs) So like, you know, so it's a lot of times it's just about that mental strength of like, you know, I've done this a million times before. Like I, I just can't make this moment too big. Yes. That makes sense. So you end up silver in 2004, which is incredible. First Olympics. You go on the next year at the World Championships and you win gold in the 200 meter. And at this point, again, you're only a couple years into your career, but you're essentially the best in the world. How did you look at that? Like, how did you approach that? I kind of was just like, I don't know, just doing what, you know, I felt like I was supposed to do, you know, just like continuing pushing. I was super motivated after the Olympics. I switched coaches at that point and I started to really like find my rhythm, I guess, like what worked for me. And yeah, it was just always about, I don't know, I'm a big goal setter. Like I'm always like, okay, after one thing, you just set the next goal and you just keep going. So, and at that point I was still just learning so much, you know, I had, like you said, I had not been running for that long. And so everything was still just this process of wanting to get better. And so I was just like, you know, a sponge, like soaking up all the knowledge that I could. What were some of the early things in your career that you felt you learned quickly that you didn't know before and that really elevated your running? Um, I think just like training, like my experience training was like at a high school level. So understanding, yeah. you know, <laughs> how to be elite and like what that training looks like and how to really push yourself and kind of all those things that you learn over time. I think that was the biggest thing, like just being a professional and, you know, that this was my job and I was, you know, it's, it's just a whole different like level. Yeah, that makes 
sense. You were in high school and then you're all of a sudden a professional yeah. athlete <laughs> winning silvers and golds at world championships. So you go on in 2007 to win another gold in the world championship. So this is leading into 2008, the next Olympics, Beijing, and you're slated as the favorite in the 200 meter. You know, there's all that pressure around you, but the same sprinter who beat you in 2004 beat you again in 2008, Veronica Campbell Brown. First of all, Let's talk about that rivalry a little bit. She's three years older than you. When you went to your first Olympics, were you thinking, she's my competition? Like at that time, like I was so like just oblivious, I think, to like what was really going on. I don't even think like I really like understood who was who and who was doing what and like the, you know, I just, I wasn't there yet. Um, so I've definitely been there when I first got into soccer, I was like, I don't know who that player is. And then like looking back, you're like, oh my gosh, oh, they're like, yeah. <laughs> she had already been to the Olympics before 2004. So like, okay. you know, she's, she's a prodigy. Like, yes. So yeah, I had no idea like what was really like going on and yeah. So, but it was always like a, a good rivalry. Like I knew that like when I raced her, like she brought the best out of me because I knew she was that good. You know, I knew that like I had to be ready when I faced her. So it was a good rivalry. And then at that point, like going into 2008, yeah, I had got the silver medal to her. So I was like excited because I'm like, here's another opportunity to, you know, be able to race her. Mm -hmm. I just think like when I play, it's teams and, you know, there's a handful that are good. But like with you guys, you guys were splitting basically first and second every race that you guys ran in together. Whether it was you were winning gold, she was winning silver, or vice versa. Yeah, you always know who is like, who's been doing well. And if someone has been, you know, dominating, or if it's always like the mix between like the top three or something. So you kind of know like who is the favorite or expected to win or who your competition is going to be for the most part. But then track and field is crazy because then there's always like this one person that you like have never heard of who like comes up and the sleeper just shows up to the race and they're like, who are you? Where'd you come from? Exactly. But for the most part, you have a good idea of who your competition is. When you're training, are you thinking about your competition or are you just thinking, how do I get faster? I think there's like, elements of training where you are because you have raced like these people so much you know what they're good at and typically like you don't always have the same strength so like even with me and veronica she um, we have a much different body type you know she's she's shorter and she's more powerful and i have longer legs and i'm leaner and she has an amazing start and i don't so it's kind of like those things like you know you're kind of like figuring out like i have really good top end speed and finish well so you do kind of think about it like when you're working on something like you know i really need to improve on this because that could be the difference of the race that makes sense i've been working with my trainer on my top end speed and he was telling me about the curve of how long it takes to get to your top end speed, but then people can't sustain it. That's the problem. You you can only sustain your top end speed for 10 plus meters, if that. So the fact if you can sustain for a long period of time, like you will win a race as opposed to if you start well, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, it's always really interesting because it's like everyone is slowing down, but it's like yes. who can, you know, maintain that for the longest, you know? So yeah, it's interesting. And all those things, you know, play in as the, you have the different, like distances of where that can really help you out or where that's not going to help you so much. For sure. So to go back to 2008, you end up getting silver again. How did you feel when that happened? 
I was completely devastated. Like it was like the worst, like, you know, it was the complete different experience of 2004 because I came in like, you know, like, this is amazing. You know, this is the Olympics. I'm here. Like I'm fresh out of high school too. Now I have a sponsor. They have expectations. Like I'm the favorite. I'm supposed to win. I'm also like, I had just graduated from USC. You know, I was like a young woman trying to figure out like how to have friends, but be a professional, like in this weird space. And it was just really, really hard. And so when I got this, you know, the second silver medal to the same person after like, what I felt like was like sacrificing everything, you know, I like wasn't living the normal college life. I wasn't going to the parties. Like I wasn't doing that whole deal. So I'm like, I've given all of this up just to get the same result. It was really, really hard. But I'll also say it was that like moment has been like, I I feel like that's the most defining moment of my career because really, yeah, I had to like look at myself and like figure out like, am I going to keep doing this? Like, can I dissect like every piece of my training, like my lifting, my nutrition, like where, where is there space to grow? Um, And I had to like, see like, am I, am I going to do another four years? Like where nothing is guaranteed, like how bad do you want it kind of thing? So like looking back, I'm like super grateful because the motivation that it gave me and like just the growth that I saw in myself, like for the next four years, um, I I think if I didn't go through that experience, I'm not sure like what it would have looked like. That's incredible. I love hearing when your defining moments come out of failures. And I, I truly believe that as athletes, that happens more often than not. And I think in real life, it does too. So for you, when you cross the finish line, you immediately see that you were not first. Like I've never raced in an Olympic 200 meter final. So, and you know, for us, it's like the whistle blows, whoever's winning. Yeah. (laughs) Put me in your head as to how the emotions go as you cross the finish line. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, we talked about how like different athletes have different strengths. And so, you know, Veronica was out like in that race, she had an amazing start. And so I was kind of playing catch up the whole race. And it was like in the final, like, you know, 20 meters, I realized like, I'm not going to catch her. So you did, you realized that during the race. Yeah. Like you can kind of feel like, you know, yeah, obviously you're running your heart out to the line, but you know, at some point, if you're still behind, you know, it's not going to happen. So I remember looking at the board and like seeing it and just, you know, try to gain your composure to at least like get off and get, you know, somewhere till you can kind of like just have all those raw emotions. But it's just like that immediate disappointment, you know, because for four years, that's what you are training for that goal, like day in and day out. I mean, you know how that goes for sure. So when you have that moment where it doesn't come together, it's just, it's just hard. Yeah. Oh, at what point did you have this almost internal reckoning of I'm going to dissect everything within my training, my program, my process, and figure out if I want to do this again. Was it that night? Was it a week later? Like, when did that happen for you? I think it was probably several months later. Like, and I would say even probably that whole like year, I was still trying to figure it out. Like, I knew that things had to change. Like, I knew I couldn't just keep doing the same thing that I was doing and expect Mm -hmm. for like to have this different result. Um, But I definitely had to take the space to like, 
feel all the emotions to like to to have the disappointment to be upset um because i think that's like part of who i am like and that's a part of like who competitive people are like that's what makes you special like you know yeah. you you're not just going to get over it um it like it will stay with you so I think it definitely took a process. And then, you know, I sat down with my coach and just kind of like looked at all the things and I was like, okay, I think I need to make a change here. I think I need to do something here um, different. And and we, you know, it was a team effort to kind of like change things around. And what ultimately led you to believe, okay, I, I can do four more years. I want to go again for 2012. Was it, I haven't won a gold I want to win an individual gold because at 2008 Olympics, you won a team gold for relay. What was the defining factor that said, all right, I I can do another four years? I would say it was probably like my team really like believing in me, like my coach, my family, like, because you know, like when you're in the middle of something, it's like, you can't see it. Like, you know, you can't see that vision that like other people can see for you. And so I think it was like leaning on them and like hearing from them, like, no, like this, you, you are, there's no reason why you can't do this. Um, And then I think at that point I had, how I was talking about making all these changes, I decided to work with my brother who, you know, became an agent. And so I think that also like helped everything just like knowing I could trust him. And then he was like, you just focus on like running and like, I'll do everything else. And I think once I could do that, like the response, all the other responsibilities, it was like, I don't know, it was like a a weight off of my shoulder. It was like, okay, like, yeah, this is what I should be focusing on. And, you know, let me just like double down and, and get focused. I love that, that you're, you know, you couldn't see it, but everyone around you was like, no, you are meant to do this. You were, you're going to do this. And that's super special. One more question on the 2008 era. 2009, you win gold in the world championship or world champion. They're called world championships. In 200 meter, you win gold. The year following the Olympics, that happened, you know, following the 2004 Olympics, you won silver and then you won gold. Were you like pissed off? Were you you like, why can't I just do that? Why didn't I do this a year before twice now? Was that, was there any part of that, that you were? I think at that point, like I was just like, just moving forward. I think there was going to be no bigger disappointment than, you know, what happened the year before. And so I was in the space of just like, okay, like I'm, I'm building like, you know, like this is momentum, like moving forward, I'm building. And I, I think I was just like set to be like, I'm, I'm focused on 2012 and this is like a stepping stone. That would make me so mad, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you build the right foundation, you get the right people around you, you tweak the things and you end up going in 2012, London Olympics, you win your first individual gold medal in the 200 meter gold. It was also one of three gold medals that you won in the games, which is crazy. You have so many gold medals. Like I said, I had to make a timeline and write them all out. But how did you feel walking in to the finals of the 200 meter? Were you the most nervous you had ever been because you're like, this is it again. This is, you know, in four years, this is my moment where you're like, no, I feel good. I've prepared. What, what was going through your mind? It was weird because it was like a sense of peace and calm. Like I still had nerves because I do like in every race, yeah. but um, 
it was different because I knew that like there was nothing else I could have done. Like I was prepared. And so mm-hmm. I just felt like if it didn't happen, like it just wasn't meant for me because there's like literally nothing else I could have done. So I think just knowing that, like I always log all my workouts and I remember like before walking out into the stadium, looking back at my workouts and I was like, you know, I've done it. Like there's like literally, (laughs) I I couldn't think of anything else like to add to the program. Um, So I think knowing that just gave me a sense of confidence and it was peaceful, you know, it was just like, okay, like now I just like need to put the race together and, you know, whatever happens is going to happen. Totally. I completely can understand that. I've had the same feeling in big championships, in big tournaments where I've put in the work, I've prepared, I've done, I can do this in my sleep. Like I've done everything I possibly can to be the best of my ability. Therefore, whatever happens is going to happen. And it's such a great feeling, isn't it? Right. I was going to say, isn't that (laughs) so cool? It is because it's like, that's what it's about. And I think that's like in so many different situations that, you know, not just sports, but it's like, preparation is your confidence. Like, you know, that's the heart, that is the literally the hardest part. Like it's not coming out and, you know, running the race or playing the game because it's like, it's the struggle was in the preparation. So, yeah. Absolutely. That is spot on. That's athletics right there. You know, winning at least in athletics. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you go in, you feel peaceful, walk me through the race, you take off. Like, can you still play that race through your mind? Yeah, I had a decent start for me, which like if for me, if I'm like still in the race at the start, that's great. (laughs) And I remember just like coming off the curve in a really good position and just continuing to push. And, you know, the last 50 meters, I remember just like digging in again and, you know, giving it my all. And I remember crossing the line and feeling like I had won, but like, let me make sure and looking up on the board. And then it was just like a a feeling of relief. Like, you know, finally, yeah, finally, like this came together and it was interesting because like, it didn't feel like what I had imagined. Interesting. What do you, what do you mean by that? So I think because like at this point, you know, this is my third Olympics. I've been trying to do this like for several, several years now. And so I think I just thought that it would be like, don't get me wrong. It was an incredible feeling and it was amazing. But I think I had built it up so much that like it it didn't feel as devastating as the losses were. The win didn't feel that amazing. You know, could Um, not agree with you more. (laughs) I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And I don't think I understood what that was until probably a couple years afterwards. And I was just like, had to really like sit with it and like trying to, you know, kind of dissect it. And I think what it was in my case was that it it was the journey, like it was the process. And like, I, I think a little bit was lost on me, like that I didn't understand like that growth and, you know, that testing of character and integrity and sticking with it. And like, that's where it was. Like that was the, you know, I wish I could have really learned that in the, in the moment and in those years. But to me, that's what was really special about it. And yeah, it's great that I achieved my goal and it finally came together. But um, to me, the unforgettable moments were like building throughout that. Yeah. The triumphs, came before and the and the winning was just like icing on the cake exactly oh man well you competed in four events at that olympics the 100 meter the 200 meter the four by 100 and the four by 400 you won gold in three of those events which is 
insane. Um, you win gold in the four by 400. In the four by 100, you guys set the world record, which still stands today. And then you won gold in the individual 200 meter. Do you feel like, and you kind of already touched on this, you just feel like you were the most prepared you possibly could be. And that meant success in the end. Yeah, it was in the preparation. And I think it was in the experiences as well. Like I was just, I think that going through everything I had, like in the previous years, I was ready. Like I was ready for those moments. And I don't know what I have been if I didn't, you know, if I didn't have a bumpy road along the way. Yeah, I was so excited about this day because it wasn't, you know, success at first try. You had two Olympics before and your third one, you finally win the elusive gold that you had been striving towards in the 200 meter, which was, you know, your main event, which is just incredible. So what a way, like 2012, man, great year, great year. (laughs) I want to jump ahead to the 2016 Olympics because there was some which I, in doing my prep for this, some controversy in those games for you and even in the qualifying. So in Olympic trials for the 200 meter, you come in fourth by one one hundredth of a second because another competitor dove at the line. Can you talk about diving at the finish line? Like I've seen it before when I was going back watching some of your races, I obviously saw it in this instance, but are people known as divers? It's obviously a last resort tactic that some people use, but how is it viewed in track and field? I think typically like what happens is that when you're running, like your legs can kind of like give out. And so it's not necessarily like you're intentionally diving. I think that, you know, you either miss a step or something happens and like you're in that position. I think also on the other side of that, I think you can dive, you know, like, yeah. and it's interesting because it's like within the rules, like it's legal to me. It, like, it's not the strategy. Like, I don't know, maybe some people feel like it is to me, like mm-hmm. I'm a runner. So I'm going to like run through the line, but I don't know. It's, I guess everyone just kind of has their own like feeling about it. Yeah. I find it so fascinating because so the way the Olympic trials work is top three in each event represent Team USA in that event at the Olympics. So you end up coming fourth in 200 meter and you won gold at the world championships in the 400 meter in, I think it was 2015. So you also qualified for, so you qualified for the 400 meter for the Olympics. How are you feeling going in to 2016 and not running the 200 meter, but running the 400 meter? Yeah, so it was a crazy, it was just a different experience. So I basically what had happened is, you know, this was going to be my fourth Olympic Games. And, um, you know, in the previous games, I had only done the sprints. And so I was just ready to challenge myself in a different way. And the 400 is an event that does not come natural or easy to me, like whatsoever. It's like, it was It sounds like the worst event ever. It pretty much is. Uh, (laughs) I can't argue with that too much. I think anyone who's run a 400, like no matter how fast or slow you've done it, it's a painful experience to try to like sprint for that amount of time. Yeah. Um, so that was the idea of like running the 400. And so before the Olympic trials, like two months before I had this like crazy accident in the gym and what happened? I was doing like a core exercise. Like I was on a pull-up bar and I was bringing my knees to my chest. I had a ball in between my legs and I've done this like a million times. And like, I went to get down. So I dropped the ball and then I went to jump 
And I don't know what happened this time, but when I came down, my ankle just like collapsed and I tore a bunch of ligaments and it was just awful. It was literally two months before Olympic trials and I couldn't walk. I couldn't run. I, so two months before Olympic trials. Yeah, it was insane. Oh my God. (laughs) So at that moment I thought like everything was over, you know, I wanted to do this 200, 400 double, like something that's really rare and this whole thing. And I, I, training was going great. Like everything was like lining up and then I had this accident. And so the next two months, like I'm just rehabbing, like I'm literally in the pool on the bike. Like I couldn't, run for like a whole month. So I went to Olympic trials and I didn't have any professional races. Like I usually have like five or six, you know? And so I literally just went out there and I was running with, you know, just on the conditioning that I had done. And um, so the 200 was always going to be really difficult for me because I couldn't really sprint Mm. and it was just tough. And so when I didn't make the team in that, you know, I was, I was really, you know, upset and, sad but at the same time I was so grateful because I ended up winning the 400 and making the team and I was just like well you know I have to go with that now and you know I guess that's where I'm supposed to be and um, I'm just like grateful because I didn't think I was going to be on the team at all so I just kind of had to shift my focus pretty much yeah that's crazy because you getting on the team is determined in like we talked about earlier you know 20 seconds a minute how you know in one race you're hurt like it doesn't matter like it's just like you know it's whoever is top three on that day it doesn't matter you know if you've if you're the reigning gold medal like it doesn't matter like you just have to make it on that day so yeah wow i didn't think about that that is Crazy. Okay, so you're pumped that you're going to the Olympics. You you qualify in 400 meter after spraining your ankle two months before, which is I have ankle problems a lot, so feel you on that. Yeah, you know the deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly, know the deal. So you go 2016 and you get to the finals 400 meter. You end up coming in second on a last minute dive again. What went through your mind then? At the time, I don't even think I really understood like what happened, you know, because I was in the race. And so it wasn't until later that I like saw replays and I saw it all. And, you know, it was just a hard year because I was dealing with the injury and it's like, OK, I'm not like I, I'm not 100 percent like I want to be. And it was just a lot going on. And so it felt like, man, just here's another blow. Like, like how much can I take? But, you know, it's, you know, I've had that the experience of like being disappointed on a really big stage before. And I think the thing that like carried me through was like, okay, I'm not done. I have more, you know, I've got to get ready for the relays and I just got to keep pushing. But I was definitely like, it was hard to like keep at that point. I just felt like beaten down. Like what else can go wrong? (laughs) Oh, man. You have a great approach and attitude, even in those moments, I feel like, like the fact that you're just like, it's not my year. (laughs) I've been I've lost to two die like that that would happen twice in one year is just so crazy. So following 2016, where was your head at? What did you have kind of the same moment as you did in 2008? Obviously, it wasn't the same sort of scenario. But do you have this moment of am I going to do this again? like restructuring, figuring things out? Yeah. I mean, I think I didn't have the same moment because I just, at that point, I knew how to like deal with defeat better. And I understood like how to learn and like, you know, how to, how to keep pushing forward. That wasn't an issue. Um, I think I was more so 
just thinking about like, yeah, at this point, like, do I still want to do this? Like, is this still fun for me? Is there still more left? And I think the biggest thing was like, I didn't want to end on that note, like that crazy of a year, the injury, like all of that, like, I still felt like I had more left to give. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a competitor and I was, you know, still enjoying myself. And so it was a pretty easy, like, I'm continuing on. Yeah. That makes sense. You're definitely competitive. (laughs) Um, So post-2016, you continue running. We're going to move into pregnancy and the whole maternity situation, Nike deal, because I'm very interested to talk to you about this because what you have been able to do and be an advocate for is so important and, you know, what you've done and moved the sport forward. But let's talk about pregnancy first. In 2018, you got pregnant. And you ended up having a very difficult pregnancy, which you've talked about before, um, which led to a C-section. I think it was in week 32. Can you talk about that a little bit in that, you know, you ended up having to deliver super early and all the complications that happened during and then after? Yeah. So I, you know, because I knew that I, you know, was still competing and 2019 was, you know, was going to be a world championship year. So I had all that like on my radar. So I knew I wanted to train through my pregnancy and actually had a really great pregnancy before then. Like I was training, everything was good. I felt good. I literally went into the doctor for like a routine visit at 32 weeks. And then that's when, you know, things kind of went south and they were concerned with some of the tests and, went in for monitoring and things really got scary. And then I was diagnosed with a severe case of preeclampsia. And and then they had to make the emergency decision to do the C-section. And so I think I just wasn't prepared. Like I knew statistics about Black women giving birth and having, you know, far greater complications. Yes. But I think being a professional athlete and like understanding health and like exercise and all of that, I just never saw myself in that position. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think my mind wasn't prepared for everything that, you know, I went through. My daughter was in the NICU for about a month. And so right away, everything shifted because like in my head, you know, we all make these plans. <laughs> I was like, in four weeks, I'll get back to running. Like, it'll be great. Like, I've seen people do it before. Like, oh my gosh. You know, um, yeah, not my experience. I was literally in the hospital 24 seven with my daughter and, yeah. you know, just emotionally and physically drained. I mean, yeah, you've obviously talked about overcoming so many things. You think the idea that your daughter was in the NICU for, you know, a month post birth and having to deal with that emotional and physical, mental, all the things. Was this the hardest thing that you probably have ever had to deal with? Yeah, for sure. I think I was. Yeah. it was just coming at me at all different angles because, uh, yeah, I was going through the negotiations with Nike at that time. I was, you know, dealing with this and it was more than I felt like I could handle at the time. I can't imagine. And just to touch on like the physical piece of the recovery, you said that, oh, you know, I'm going to give birth. And then four weeks later, I'll be back training, which I think we us athletes, we all think that's the case. And then obviously, like you said, you had complications, which you weren't expecting to. Once you gave birth, did your mind shift to my timeline is actually going to be this to come back? Or you still were thinking, spending all the time in the NICU, how am I going to get to the gym to get back to be the best I can be? the shortest amount of time. Like, yeah, like it was still in the back of my head, but I knew that was like the first time that I really had like 
those thoughts of like, well, this might be where I end because this is far more important than any medals or anything else. Like, you know, it was all about like my daughter and her watching her fight and like her survival. Like it was everything just shifted at that point. Like the tracks of it just didn't matter anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. And so like I touched on just a little bit ago, you obviously to kind of double down on the stress, the emotion, the physical wear and tear of having complicated pregnancy and then having your daughter in the NICU for so long. At that point, you were negotiating your contract with Nike. And I mean, there's so many elements to this that I want to ask questions on. One of them is that you've said that when you were negotiating with them, they wanted to offer you 70% pay reduction. Were they saying, oh, it's like, is that because you were pregnant? Like, to me, that's just wild that they would even offer that. Yeah. So it was even before I was pregnant. And that's what really terrified me was that, you know, here we are beginning this conversation before I disclosed my pregnancy. And it really mm-hmm. led to me um, like going through my pregnancy in like silence. And, you know, I was literally training at like four o'clock in the morning so that nobody would see me because at the time, I, you know, I still didn't have an offer like on paper. I felt like it was going to disappear. It it was just a lot that was like happening. And so once I finally let them know, like negotiations just weren't going well. And what it actually came down to was like, you know, the money was what the money was going to be. You know, I wasn't happy, but it just, it is what it is. And that was fine. But the piece that I wasn't willing to budge on was around maternal protection in contracts. Like that's what I was asking for. And not just asking, like it wasn't enough for them just to put it in for me. Like this needed to happen for everyone. And that's because like I watched like friends of mine, like, you know, have children and, you know, either their contract be paused or they were reduced because they couldn't get back up to that level like quick enough. And so that was like the sticking point where, you know, if if that didn't happen, then I wasn't willing to move forward. And it didn't, you know, they weren't willing to do that. So to me, that was, there wasn't anything else to talk about at that point. Yeah, that makes sense. At what point in your career did you realize this is something that I'm going to have to fight for? You know, I, I wish that I would have even like understood earlier because I watched it happen. But I think because it didn't affect me, like I didn't like understand how big that was and how Mm -hmm. wrong it was, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, to see like what and even to go back and talk to friends who have gone through it and, you know, were there and went through a difficult time. It didn't affect me. And so I, you know, I, I didn't get it. Um, And then when I was going through it, that's when it really became clear that like, this is a huge problem, you know, that's still happening to this day. It's, it's unacceptable. Yeah, that I mean, it's interesting, because we obviously with national team, we have our own equal pay lawsuit. And um, we do have maternity protections, but um, probably nowhere near what it should be. Um, And it is interesting hearing you say like, you knew about it, but it wasn't something that you thought about because it hadn't affected you yet. And and to then be going through that and realize like how important this is because a lot of women athletes, some people refer to it as like getting pregnant as the kiss of death. And, and like you said, you stayed silent on that. You didn't tell anybody because you were worried about how that would affect you financially, business-wise, those sorts of things. And it's so, it's so crazy. So you end up coming out and having this New York Times piece where you you speak up and you speak out about 
what was happening and the fact that this is important, this has to change. Did you ever think that you'd do that? No, because I am like not that person. <laughs> I, you know, just for the longest, like being in 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 track and field, like I just always felt like, you know, I need to like stick to, you know, I am supposed to win medals. Like this is what I'm doing. Like nobody cares about anything else. And I'll say like definitely, you know, other colleagues of mine spoke out. Um, and also, you know, what what you guys were doing, you know, on the national team and, you know, speaking out on the the issues of pay and all of that, there's just power in that collective. Like, absolutely. There is power in knowing that other people are going through something that you're not alone, even if it's something different. It's just like when you see people speak out, um, it gives you that little push that you need. And so I think it was all of those things. And then it was also having my daughter, um, you know, and thinking like, I don't want her to go through the same struggle. Like this is, it's standing up for myself, for other women and for her, you know, that's what it was really about. Absolutely. And I find it interesting that you said like, you know, you had other teammates speak out. Do you feel like that allowed you to say like, you know what, I'm going to add my voice to the story because it's important. And like you said, there's power in the collective. I think that's something I fully believe. And the fact that you were able to do that is awesome that you you did realize like this is important i i want to share my story yeah because at the time i was going to kind of share like almost share like anonymously and just like add to what they were talking Mm. about and i just felt like there was power in my story because what they had gone through you know it was they were former nike athletes you know and i was currently going through this struggle and i thought that like there's something to that, like that this is still happening to this day. You know, yeah. at that time, my daughter, you know, was so young. She had just, you know, we had just brought her home. And so it was just, yeah, I think it was just all of those things. Were you stressed? Beyond. <laughs> uh, there was just, at that point, like, I deeply believed that I needed to speak out and share, but it's not like I had another sponsor waiting on the table. Mm. There wasn't, Mm -hmm. there was nothing else. So it was just like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I'm just like, I might, you know, I might not get another sponsor. I might, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know the consequences that are going to come, you know, from speaking out from, you know, this, this enormous company. Yeah. Um, that has all this power. And so I just, you know, I just had to go with what I believed in at the end of the day. I commend you so much. I, I mean, the fact that you were able to do that. And like you said, a Nike, it's this huge global brand and you, you were, you're still running. And to be able to do that as a current athlete, speak up and not know what's going to happen after you tell your story. I mean, you deserve all the praise because it's that's incredible and i have so much respect for the fact that you you did that and you ultimately led nike to change their maternity leave standards guarantees but you ended up not signing with them again you ended up going with athleta and i watched one of your interviews about this time period and you know you speaking out on this and you said the people who are negotiating these contracts are all men the ones that are in the room and they don't understand the importance of maternity leave and guarantees and that sort of thing, especially as an athlete. And you ended up going with Athleta, which is, correct me if I'm wrong, a female apparel brand. Was that important to you? Because I assume most of the people in your, you're in the room with negotiating with at a, at a female apparel brand, it's mostly females. So there's got to be some element to, they understand and they're going to do the right thing. 
Yeah, it was a completely different experience. Um, you know, I thought it was great that Nike finally decided to change their policy. But I mean, at the time, yeah, we spoke out. And then at that point, I was already, you know, had already walked away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I thought it was, you know, great for those coming after me. But for me, it, I was already, you know, it didn't happen for me. So, yeah, I think just what I place value in was different at that point. Like yeah. I, to me, marketing is one thing, but to be able to back that up and to mm-hmm. see that within a brand and a company and how it's run, like that's valuable to me. So when I did go to Athleta and they're a 97% female company, they're, you know, female led and it was just a different experience. Like I was brought in like literally a seat at the table and not just to run fast, but like being involved in their business. And I just liked the way that they approached sponsorship because I was there, I'm their first sponsored athlete, but they were taking a really holistic approach, you know, seeing me as a mom, as, you know, obviously as an athlete, but also they supported, you know, my work in advocacy and fighting for women's rights. And so it was just like this very authentic fit. That's awesome. And again, like so much respect for you and the fact that you, I mean, you and your teammates changed the landscape for people moving forward, which is pretty incredible, especially going up against, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world and being able to create change, which is, which is incredible. So you should be very proud. And you've obviously, like you said, you've landed in a good place, which is all we can ever hope for, you know, <laughs> like it all ends up. Yeah. I feel out. like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. So at the end for of the sure. day, that's, that's good with me. Yeah. All right. So, we got to touch on competing for your fifth Olympics, which would be next year. If I told you when you were 18 or if you told yourself or someone told you when you were 18, you'd be where you are today going potentially for your fifth Olympics. What do you think you'd say? <laughs> I would probably say like, you're crazy. Like yeah. there's no way. Um, <laughs> yeah. I never could have seen like any of this coming, especially in a career that like I didn't, I wasn't five years old and was like, I want to be an Olympic champion. Like that was never my dream. So it's been an incredible experience. I've learned so much. I've grown so much. And, and I do feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. And it's so much bigger than like just running fast now. You know, there's so many things I'm passionate about. And yeah, I don't know. I've just learned so much. And so kind of this approach to the fifth games is like completely different, you know, being a mom and just, um, I guess, my motivation factor behind it. You know, it's it's I'm still that competitive person, but I think the reason behind it is different. You know, I want to show my daughter about overcoming adversity and working hard. And I can't wait to tell her about like this journey that we've been on together. And, um, and yeah, it would, it would be really special for it to, you know, really to, to end in Tokyo. That's so special. And I was going to ask how your motivation had changed from then till now. And you just touched on that. And I, but I love that. It's so true. You know, you're, as you grow and evolve and, things happen in your life like having a daughter you know your your perspective and and motivations change which is really cool all right and then we do repeat questions so the first one is they say work hard get lucky how much of your success is predicated on luck i would say very little i think i love it okay tell me more yeah i think it's it's really about choices i like i think it's a combination of you know being gifted and you know, sacrificing and putting it all together. But I wouldn't say that it's, it's luck. It's like very, you know, it's, you have to, 
you have to do the work and you have to make the choices to put yourself in the position to get there. All right. You have to give me a number percentage. What percent luck? What percent hard work? Gosh, I mean, I would say maybe like 20%. Yeah. Luck? Yeah. 80% hard work. All right. Yeah. I actually expect you to be like 97% hard work, 3% <laughs> luck. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying like luck. I'm saying that that's like, uh, that's like talent, I guess I would say, you Got know, it. like, yeah. Natural born. Talent. Yeah. You know, I, I think that there's definitely like, that's in there for sure. <laughs> okay. All right. That makes sense. All right. Last question. You've accomplished so much already as we've gone over in this conversation and, you know, in me having to draw out my my timeline <laughs> of all of your medals. Where do you want to go next and how do you keep pushing? I want to do more for women, you know, like I really want to continue to stand up and fight for, you know, all different things. And I think like I do, I think, you know, this platform's been amazing. And I I think I just keep pushing forward. Obviously, I want to be successful at the Olympics. But also just to show that like, you can like overcome adversity, you can be a mom, like you can continue on. Um, I think a lot of times you think like your best years are behind you when you you know, when you start a new chapter of life. But I think that you can still you're still just as capable. So that's kind of what I feel is next. Incredible. That's a great way to end this. Allison, this has been amazing. Thank you for coming on. Your story and your timeline is (laughs) legendary. And what you've done within the space of sports for women is incredible. So thank you again. And I'm excited to watch you next year. Oh, thank you. So nice chatting with you. And I appreciate you having me. Thanks so much for listening. For more great sports content, go to JustWomenSports.com and be sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Our show was co-produced by Just Women Sports and Boom Integrated. Big thanks to our executive producers, Haley Rosen, Adrian Glover, and Robin Lai. John Murray and Sydney Shaw do our research. Production by Jen Grossman, Jeannie Montalvo, Victoria Gruenberg, Clint Rhodes, and Juan Garcia Ticulat. Special thanks to Jesse Louie, Haley Kottmeyer, Savon Nadler, Dory Newman, Isis Haywood, and Kathleen Lumavi. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and you've been listening to the Just Women Sports Podcast. Catch you next time.